Hey guys, it's Emmy, and this is the Emmy Show. So as promised, um, today I am starting season four, um, which like I mentioned, will be kind of a little preview of sorts into some of my newer escapades in the, the strange and wonderful world of writing, um, creative writing. So yeah, it's a little different from a lot of my, my stuff in that it's uh, prosy, which I never thought I would be writing prose. <laughs> I'm such a little weirdo, I can't bring myself to call it poetry, but whatever. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I thought I'd share a couple today, if that's okay. Since you can't protest, I will continue and assume that is a yes. So, um, I thought I'd start out with, um, you know, a couple that are, they're not necessarily in their most polished, um, state. Um, but yeah, these are kind of rough drafts, if you will. But I thought it'd be fun to share anyway. So the first one I'm going to share, um, again, it's kind of in its rough stages still, but it's called My Other Half. So here it goes. It's strange. I know he called me beautiful because I remember making a point of how my last ex hadn't. But now, I can't remember. Like I know it happened, but the soundtrack of that word coming out of his lips and falling into my direction is absent, muted perhaps, from the playback of us. It seems completely foreign now, that level of quote-unquote comfort with someone. It's not just him calling me things like beautiful that seem disjointed, absent from the playback of what happened. And perhaps why has something to do with the fact that it conjures up descriptions like what happened instead of more ambivalent or even fond descriptors like our time together, etc. But I digress. It's not just the terms of endearment. It's the whole comfort or mirage as it would turn out of it. Perhaps once the veneer of what I thought he was, human perhaps, melted away and his true insidious cruelty became evident, perhaps my mind erased his falsehood of sweet away from my playbacks. It's certainly not pleasant, present in my flashbacks. I did cry that first day, more out of rage than sorrow, I think. And I did have bouts of crying during the first week or so after. But it was odd. Though incredibly painful, it felt like an illness more than heartbreak. I guess what I mean is, I felt the pain in a very somatic manner. I knew what to expect because I've been through this shit before. The motions, the pain. It was just a weird thing I understood at some level. I had to go through like a stomach flu. I had to purge through my eye sockets until all his poison had leaked out of me. But the previous time I broke up with him, that time in Long Beach when he made me think he was dead, I guess that was more when I grieved it. I cried, literally all night. I remember. I remember because I kept worrying. 
I kept worrying, silly. I kept worrying if I could die from crying too much. I remember just looking at our shoes together by the door and just fucking breaking. Our worn, dirty converse sitting partially on top of one another in the shoe rack by the door. One of his all-black leather ones spooning my canvas avocado green ones. I just kneeled there, sobbing by the dusty shoe rack, my knees resting on the cool grain of the bedroom floor, sobbing and thinking, this, this is what heartbreak looks like, what separation looks like, what breaking looks like. It isn't dramatic. It's that much more gutting because of its subtle, visceral simplicity. It's two pairs of dirty old converse comfortably housed together on a shelf. On a shelf that you see each day, morning and night, becoming suddenly more empty, more dusty. Housing only one pair, alone. And calling it a pair of shoes suddenly seems like a cruel misnomer. Or waking up in a cool sheet and a hot sweat. Waking up in cool sheets and a hot sweat in a dark room after a nightmare. And reaching over instinctively, but finding only empty space nestled beside you. Heartbreak. My heartbreak was grieving new empty spaces, maybe because they mirrored the bigger one that was in me. It's not that I had an empty space before them or was in need of anyone to fill one, nor did they leave a hole or emptiness in me once they were actually gone. It's just, they had no soul, so I gave them space in mine when I let them in. To make room, I had shrunk back, confined to only half of my space. Soul atrophy ensued as their gluttony for resources grew, pushing me further and further into myself. By the time I felt them slipping away, I was so used to living in the corners of my own mind that I'd forgotten how good the extra space could feel. That the space was mine to fill all along. They weren't my other half. They were merely confining it. So that's the first one, guys. I uh, I wanted to share probably at least one more with you today. And that one's called Celestial Skeletons. Um, it's actually one of my favorites. Um, and one of the first ones that kind of came to me. Um, and kind of started this weird little journey in attempting prose. <laughs> so yeah, this is Celestial Skeletons. He said I had beautiful hands. He said they were hard-working hands. He said they had character. It's true I earned every wrinkle in my flesh, be it the creases in my mid-palms or the calluses at the top of them, where my fingers sprouted. Raphael never liked my calluses. He constantly tried to get me to use gloves at the gym and to grind them down with a pumice. I told him I earned those rough patches and I was proud of them, so I refused to let him slough them off. 
He disdained the small wart on my middle left finger and constantly criticized it, offering to, quote-unquote, help me have it removed. I told him I didn't mind it. It didn't bother me. It reminded me that I was human, with flaws, and that it was okay. He said my hands looked old, but he liked to trace the mute green path my veins painted up my forearms. I told him my soul felt old, was old, and though I never said it, I didn't much like him tracing the paths up my arms. It felt violating. It made me feel vulnerable. He didn't like my rough parts. He wanted me smooth and pale like creamed butter, an unintimidating indulgence, ready to be sliced and spread thin and consumed. Javier, you were different, but the same. You loved my rough parts. You embraced my substance. You reveled in my strength and the battle scars of my body. Did it make your cruelty just that more delicious, knowing it was inflicted on a soul that had already endured too much, on a soul that was hungry, starving for the slightest embrace, the slightest taste of kindness? Because when you slept on a bed of nails, even fiberglass feels like comfort. At first, at first. Did your hedonistic pleasure erupt in every intricacy of evil you cut into me that much more because deep down those battle scars of mine were a reminder you were cutting them into a soul infinitely stronger than your own, infinitely lighter? You liked my scars, my calluses, my wrinkles. They reminded you I was tough, and maybe, as you hurt me each time looking at them, maybe for a moment you could kid yourself into thinking you were tough too. But possessing strength and possessing strength are two very different things. Love. I get it. It felt like a better high. A bigger con to trick someone who'd already lived, who'd already died, right? You didn't even mind my little wart. Maybe it reminded you I had flaws, too. Maybe it ever so slightly deafened whatever shred was left of your humanity that constantly reminded you that you were shit. Because as your soul was long gone, you'd of course internalize this deafening scream as a criticism of your appearance, and nothing deeper. No, your mind stopped wandering there a long time ago, I think. I wonder if at first it did. If at first you did have to make a conscious choice to not think about what you were doing. Every time... Your light getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. How long did it take for you to kill your own soul? Did it hurt? No. You were numb to feeling by the time it finally died completely, I guess. I thought I saw a glimmer dance behind your dark pools sometimes, at first. But now I know it was only echoes. The echoes of a long-deceased planet of since-extinguished light shining out from the midnight sky of your gaping skull cavities. At first it gave me hope. At first. Like a child wanting to lasso the stars, I'd try to reach that light I saw in you. Until I'd grow to the horrible existential existential realization that I couldn't catch the stars. I couldn't draw them out because they... You had been dead already for light years. My face would change from hope to utter terror as I realized I was staring directly into the smiling face of a corpse 
all along. Soon even the echo died. First it dimmed, then completely extinguished, leaving only that horrible, smiling corpse, those dark, deadly pools behind. Javier, you liked that I was tough. You liked that I was human, because you were neither anymore. You are a sarcophagus, possessed by pure evil, and breaking bread, crumbling its tough corners before devouring it and leaving only dust. Well, there was just way more hedonistic fun in that than spreading something soft. Where's the challenge there? You can find butter anywhere, after all. And you'd have some on that of that on this side, perhaps. But bread, that was a substantial part. The part that really fed your hunger. Because it really is only feeding your hunger. As you break bread, there is no hint of mercy gracing your lips. Only a gluttonous lust for more. More bread? More breaking. More consuming. More eliminating. I like my hands. I still have calluses. I still have a small wart. My palms bear creases and my fingers wrinkles, but they help me pack everything I owned one night and walk away from celestial skeletons forever. They caress my own skin, though it still quivers, it's beginning not to brace for impact anymore. Yes, Javier, they are beautiful, because they have character, the kind you couldn't ever understand. They show strength, the type you could never manage to break, despite trying your very hardest to do so. They show humanity, the echo of a still alive and thriving celestial body that shrines stronger and brighter than the death masquerading as beauty or mystery or light in your dark eyes. I'm sorry you chose to kill your soul. Seeing the echo of it was crushing. One of the most haunting and tragic things I've ever witnessed. But you cannot have mine. And that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed. There will be more to come. Not to worry. So yeah, keep listening. And have a great night.